It's in the context of uh, the theme of forgiveness, but I just want to broaden it to something beyond forgiveness into um, any kind of hurt or pain that we carry. Just as a way to uh, reveal this to Jesus, on page 11, obviously we admit what we're feeling, you know, whether it's anger or whether it's um, sadness, some level of regret. That's the emotional content of a wound or a pain that we're carrying. And so letter B there, and again, this could be for anything that's that we're carrying. doesn't mean it's an offense that our spouse committed against us. But uh, you see there, show him the wound, letter B. Most important. When, uh, you know, a lot of people want to rush to intimacy with God. St. Bernard of Clairvaux said something very important once. He said, before Jesus is the bridegroom, which has all sorts of implications for communion with him, emotionally, uh, psychologically, the second coming, of course, physically. But we need to show him the wound because he is first the physician, then the bridegroom. And this is very true in our own marriages, right? Because a lot of times the difficulty in our marriage is that we have not been healed of something. And so there's an obstacle that my wife or husband keeps running up against because I won't show the wound. And if you cover the wound, you can't get it healed. And then that becomes an obstacle to communion. So you have to show the wound. So he could work on it. Who? The physician. The spiritual physician. Like Jesus said in the scripture, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, I want you to heal this. I've been carrying it for decades. I'm sick of it. And then after the healing, he becomes the bridegroom. The one that we have rest and communion and free exchange of love with. But before the healing, he, there's no, um, there's nothing to attach the self to because of this obstacle with my spouse. So what works in the spiritual life also works in the, in the, in the marital life. You probably have some problems in deep communion because there's some unresolved emotional wound. So one of the most loving things we can do in our marriage, right, is to go to therapy, go to spiritual direction, go to confession. And therapy doesn't necessarily have to be with a professional, although a lot of times it's helpful. But you know what? There's a, a point at which in our marriage we're not going any further. And because I love you, I'm going to go and find a therapist, someone to talk to, confession, spiritual direction, adoration, and I'm going to see if I can show this wound. Because I love you. It's very, very much like, uh, you know, if, if someone refusing to have an operation he needs, 
because he's afraid, but if he dies, his whole family will be impoverished. So he goes through with the operation because he loves his family. He doesn't go through with the operation because he loves pain or because he, yeah, I think I'll undergo this inconvenience. He's doing it because if I die, my family's impoverished. If I don't do this, our marriage is impoverished. Show Jesus the wound. And you don't have to babble on a lot about it. It's just show it to him. The story of Cana, with, when Mary uh, comes to the, uh, the jugs of, of wine, she uh, says to Jesus, they have no wine. Notice that's not a question. It's noticing. And then Jesus performs the miracle. After it has been noticed, the lack, Jesus performs the miracle. So what is the, what is what, what is the obstacle? And you might say, I don't even know. Then you go before Jesus and you just say, I don't know. But it's really killing our marriage. And again, you don't need a lot of words. It could just be fear. Or it could be a particular sin. You know, sloth, envy. You just say it. So B, page 11, bring the emotional effects to the wound to prayer. Show him the wound. Offer it to him. Show him the pain so he can enter it. And this is the most important part, right? And love you from within it. Jesus, I've never told you this before. And then Jesus, what? Rejects you. That's what Jesus does. He's a big rejecter. No, Jesus, I've never showed you this before. Jesus, I've never mentioned this to you before. Jesus, I'm most ashamed and fearful of this. And then you show it to him. And then Jesus espouses it. He enters it. And from within that very weakness, he loves you. From within it, he loves you. I remember one time I had to tell Marianne something bad about myself. And I was like, oh, this is good. It's going to be over. It's going to kill it. And I told her. And she embraced me. This was embarrassing. This was a weakness of mine. This was shameful. And she embraced me. And that's a human person. So whatever it is you think God is going to do, you're wrong. When you reveal this in complete vulnerability and humility, he's going to enter it and love you from within it. From within it. It will no longer be a cause of separation between you and him or you and your spouse. But you will now become a place of intimacy between the two of you. What will? My weakness? My fault? Yes. 
that thing that you hate the most about yourself will become a place of intimacy between you and God and even between you and your spouse. I just told you the story about Marianne and myself. I just told you that story. Why did I tell you that story? Because I love her more because of it and she loves me more because of it. What? She entered my weakness. With what? With love. It made us stronger, not weaker. Show the wound. Offer it to him. Show him the pain so he can enter it and love you from within it. There's no need to speak a lot about the pain. Just keep holding the wound open every time. And the best time to do this is if you have a good priest who gives you silence after a reception of Holy Communion. If he doesn't give you silence, then you have to do it after Mass. But the best time to hold the wound open, and notice there, just keep holding the wound open before him. You might say, hey, I did it once. Okay, maybe it'll take ten. I don't know, it's mysterious. Like the man who's healed of blindness, but then Jesus had to go put mud on his eye. I don't know why. Just keep holding and showing and opening. Sit after Holy Communion and just say, sadness, frank, fear. Just keep letting him in at that level. The Eucharist is supposed to have an effect on our lives. You should have a testimony of when and how the Eucharist healed you. Because it's God. And part of it is sometimes the, the way we do our liturgies and we don't give ourselves the time of silence that we need to be healed. So if you go to adoration, always remember that adoration is the extension of the Mass. So you bring the healing to adoration as well, the needed healing to adoration. C, it's best to do the showing while holding a crucifix or an adoration or while reading an appropriate scripture verse. Do not minimize the wound or excuse the behavior. This is regarding forgiveness, but don't, do it, don't excuse your own behavior either. What you offer to Christ must be your real wound and real pain for him to heal it. See, this is crucial. The analogy to physicians is very important. You go in, you minimize something to a doctor. Well, sometimes in the morning I get up and I got like a little earache. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Well, it just kind of hurts me sometimes. It's not really, really anything else you want to say about it. Well, no, I get up and there's some pain there. Oh. When really the explication of that earache would be, yeah, it's so much pain that I get a headache and some, some days I don't go to work. Oh, you didn't say that. So there's no medicine for you. The same in the spiritual realm. I did X, Y, and Z. I do it a lot. And I do it in these circumstances. And I do it under these conditions. And I really do it. Heal me.
See, then he can put the cast on the arm because you showed him the real wound. Same thing in the sacrament of reconciliation, right? When you go and you, you really specify the, the sin, the grace goes deeper. Why? Because you're living in reality. Where does God live? In reality. Where does God not live? In your fantasy. Yeah, I said bad things to my husband. Grace kind of stops at the surface. I told my husband that I hate him because he always ignores me. And I feel bad about saying I hate him, but I told him that. Jesus, help me. Reality. Reality. Who lives in reality? You and God. What's that called? An encounter. What happens when you encounter God? He heals you. Just like in a physician, specificity is very important in the spiritual life. The more specific you are, the deeper the healing. The more vague in general, the more you will be left in vagaries and generalities. So that's why you want to be, as Jesus says, a child. You want to be a child. You want to tell everything like a little child. D, continue to bring this wound to the Lord for as long as it takes for him to heal you or to incorporate it into your love for the person who hurt you. Keep bringing the wound to him until it has an effect. And then I just talk again what I talked about there regarding... um, uh, Holy Communion and the importance of doing this in the midst of Holy Communion. So now we just want to sit with the Lord just for a moment. If it's helpful for you to write, write. If it's helpful for you just to sit there and let the Holy Spirit indicate it, then just kind of bring up the wound or the pain that you think really needs to be uh, healed by Jesus. And um, just show it to him. And just sit there. We'll give you, you know, five minutes or so. Just sit there like you would in Mass or in adoration. Um, And just show him the wound. Listen for any movement of your heart around what you're saying. And if you need to write it down, write it down. If you need to talk about it with your spouse or your fiancé, do that. If you need to talk about with a priest or a spiritual director, do that. But don't let it go. So let's just be with Jesus in silence. Giving him what we need to give him. So um, I'm going to ask you to talk to each other. I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm going to just ask you to talk to each other 
And um, the thing I want you to talk about is since you started praying last night, what's the one thing that you need to say to each other now? Since you started praying last night, what's the one thing you need to say to each other now that will assist you in deepening the communion? What's the one thing you want to say to each other? Now, I don't want you to say it here because you'll just mumble and or you won't say it fully. So I need you to go back to your room. And are you, are you guys sleeping in separate rooms? <laughs> I found that out just five minutes ago. It's like, well, we, we just love marriage. So um, pick, pick whatever room you want of the two that you've been given. And um, just, just go and be there for 10 minutes together. And again, it's, wow, since, since Friday... Since last night in my prayer, this is what's been coming up that I, that I need to say to you. And if there's nothing, you look at each other and you say, you know, I have nothing. And then you say to the other, I have nothing. And then you say, let's not tell this to anyone. And uh, go get a cookie. Okay? And so there's no violence here. It's not like, oh, you better make something up. Because I'm not going to ask you what it is. No one's going to ask you what it is. It's, it's just giving our, our, our hearts a chance to rest and to acknowledge what God has been doing and for us to share it and then receive it. Now, you might have said this already to one another. You say, well, we don't have to do this again. We've, we're way ahead of Keating. But then just go to your room and chill and kiss a little and then go have a cookie. But there's something that um, God wants you to say to each other that he has been filling your heart with. Okay, what is that? Okay, and then we'll finish our conference. So we want to remember that Prayer is the safest emotional place on earth. And you want to keep uh, placing everything into his sacred heart. Safest emotional place on earth. Safest emotional place on earth. Everything is on the table because you're with God. And then as you share what's in your heart with God, then he'll move the earth around. And he'll respond to you in some way. So when you're that honest with God, he's going to move things around. Maybe not in your time or in your way of wanting things, but he'll move things around. For nothing is impossible with God. Prayer is the safest emotional place on earth. Everything should be told there. And he will answer you by the normal course of his sober miracles. Most miracles are not flashy. 
but they happen. My brother uh, is an alcoholic, and my mother has been, was, she died, but she was praying for him, and now she's praying for him in heaven. And he did not go to church after his teenage years. He married outside the church. At one point, I think he was even atheist, didn't even acknowledge God. And by the power of her prayers, God moved things around the earth. I won't tell you all the details, it'll take too long. But in the sober miracle of my brother's life, right now, he's sober and the director of a Catholic retreat house in Florida. There's no God. I'm an alcoholic. I don't pray, I don't worship. Oh, sober, Catholic, daily mass communicant running a retreat house in Florida. Oh, that's different. So as the Psalms say, right? Pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. If you look at page 18, we'll just conclude with that. Now, of course, the greatest enemy to our marriages, as we've been saying, is ourselves and our, and our refusal to suffer our own conversions. So in the middle of the page of 18, we have to push against the natural ease to remain self-involved. We have to push against that. That's not going away by magic. You have to make alternate choices to be more interested in your spouse than you are in yourself. And that's push, that is, that's, that's an intentional word because there's an effort that you have to exert God will generate the power of grace to put the fat, relentless ego to death, but you have to push against it with your choices. It's not going to happen magically. If we don't, we remain sealed off from each other and from God. And that's, of course, a premonition of hell. If we don't push against what's natural for us, we will seal ourselves off. We will end up alone. And every one of us in this church is capable of ending up alone. It's not without, outside the realm of possibility. And every one of us in this church is capable of becoming a saint that is not outside the realm of possibility. As the scripture says, this day, choose. This day, choose. Sealed off or a saint.
That's the very fascinating life that we've been given by God. In the next little paragraph there, I say that we got to, but we have to develop a taste for this availability to the needs of our spouse. Now, taken up into this also is our, our children, but I'm trying to give you a break from your children, except for the Simpsons. They don't have a break for their children, but the rest of you have a break from your children. So I, I, taken up into this is parenting, of course. Parenting, the little urchins, um, sometimes demand even more than our spouses uh, to, to serve their needs because they're usually a bunch of ingrates and they don't know how to say thank you and that kind of stuff. Like occasionally your husband or your wife may say, hey, thanks, that was good marinara sauce. But the kids, no. Um, so they're in this pushing against selfishness, but I'm just trying to give you a break from them for the weekend. You develop a taste for availability that and the suffering that accompanies it. Okay? And that's a great mystery. So in other words, for the Christian who is living off of grace, you can say a weird sentence like, I really hate serving you, but I enjoy the suffering of it. And I'm doing it. Now, when we're honest with ourselves, unless our conversion has gone way down the road, there will always be a distaste for thinking of anyone other than ourselves. Case in point, just take some domestic thing. Just the other day, I sit in my dad chair, and I'm old, so when I sit, it takes a lot of effort. That's why old people, when they sit in chairs, they make noises. They go out, and then they exhale. Like they just ran around the block or something. It's just, you just sat for crying out loud. So you sit in the chair and you go, ah. okay, and then Mary Ann calls, would you get the laundry out of the dryer? And that's what her voice sounds like. And immediately I say, no. Okay, that's human. That's the human experience, right? I just did a lot of work. I sat down. You intruded in my, my rest after that great work I did. You're getting a no, babe. Okay? But I want to be a saint. See that? St. James of Omaha, pray for us. I want, to, I want to be a window. Someday I want to be a window. Right there. Right? I want to be a window. And the window is going to have me in my chair with laundry around me, right? <laughs> but I'm going to have a, I'll have a halo, but it'll be just, you know, this big fat guy in a, in a lounge chair surrounded by laundry baskets. And Marianne like, there, like this, you know, praying. <laughs> so notice how ridiculous this is. She just asked you to get the laundry out. And you said no. You have to develop a taste of availability and the suffering that accompanies it. Even that little bit of suffering. And around the house, that's usually it. Around the house, it's usually the little bit of suffering that, is, that makes us saints or leaves us Americans. Americans. 
That little bit of suffering is what's going to do it. And you remember like the story of St. Therese and other saints where you would almost, sometimes you read saints' lives and you say, is that it? (laughs) That's all they did? Yeah, because everything was done in that little thing. The love was placed in the little things. We have dramatic saints like Maximilian Kolbe, but then you have these other saints that slipped in. How'd they get in? Because when the laundry was asked to be taken out of the dryer, they said yes. And we might think, wow, that's not very important. But think about the next time the laundry is asked. That exertion of the will against the ever weighty self-involvement. The fastest way to become a saint is to say yes. But you have to develop a taste for it. And also the suffering that comes with it. Because when you say the yes, it's going to hurt to table your agenda. What was my agenda? Nothing. Sitting there. But that agenda of nothingness was more urgent than the service she asked for. That's a perfect description of our fallen human nature. Hey, Jim, what was more important than helping your wife? Nothing. Wow. And you're oh, a saint? Well, I will be one day. Right now, I'm just kind of tired. And so, nothing was stopping you from helping your wife, but you didn't do it? That's right. That's what it means to be me. It's not a very pretty sight. So when you push against that and you say yes, now, I'm not saying at one point, although I may, at one point bound out of the chair reciting the Song of Songs. I may. It is my love, my dove. And I may just bound out and rush to the laundry. (laughs) Can't see myself doing that, but it could be true because nothing's impossible with God. Right? Nothing's impossible with God. It is my love, my dove. I see you. I love you. I'll get the socks. But you have to develop a taste for availability and the suffering that accompanies it. And the best test case for this is always the home. It's never public. Because in public, we're always in a different energy. Like if Marianne was here right now, I'd be opening doors for her. You know, like, hey, I'm the guy giving these holy talks. Hey, Marianne, come on in. How can I help you? I'd make sure she was settled, you know. I'd light a candle for her. But I'm in public. At home, you know, yeah, this uh, this food doesn't taste very good. Uh, Good effort. You know, it's like, well, who's hearing this stuff? You know, it's at home. And then she's like, I I, I made this for you. Well, try again. That's domestic, the domestic secret, right? The domestic secret. Boy, are you a sinner at home. Well, actually, I'm a sinner everywhere, but it's demonstrable at home, right? This is why, you know, some, some marriages go so far astray that when the corpses light out here, the woman's acting. <laughs> she's actually pretty glad he's gone. But she's acting. Why? Because the domestic environment was so toxic. 
He never learned to get out of the chair. But he was a knight of Columbus. Or he was a deacon. Mr. Public. Holy man. Right? But at home, the collapsing of the environment of grace. So that's why you may say, well, that's a ridiculous example, getting out of the chair to do the laundry. How are you going to become a saint that way? That's the only way. You don't think God knows you're a fraud as the Knight of Columbus? It, the only way to become a saint is the little things in secret known and held in the heart of your spouse. The little things in secret known and held in the heart of your spouse. So we need to develop a taste for that and the suffering that accompanies it. And finally, the last little section on 18. We cannot go forward in sacramental marriage unless we, we become mystical in this way. What way? What is happening in the Mass is now happening in my body. And my body is now a gift in Christ to my spouse. St. Augustine said it this way. You know, what you receive, become. What you receive, become. My mother said it this way. Pay attention. St. Thomas Aquinas said it this way. What you pay attention to, you become. So if you're paying attention to the mystery on this altar, you'll become it. What is happening in the Mass is now happening in my body. What's happening in the Mass? My body is now a gift in Christ to my spouse. With ever-diminishing speed bumps. The Eucharist is changing my disposition so deeply that soon I will be reciting the Song of Songs. With ever-diminishing speed bumps, my body is becoming a gift to my spouse because what I'm receiving, I am becoming. What are you becoming? Altar Christus. What are you becoming? Holy. What are you becoming? Saint. Why? Because of what you're participating in. What are you participating in? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Where is it? It's in your body. Since when? Since baptism. And now progressively assimilated to the Eucharist. None of this is inert unless we choose it to be. It's just like living with your spouse. You can be inert or you can participate in the mystery that is the other. You can be inert. I remember my mother and father had a fight once. My father came home um, late. And she was all upset, mostly fearful and angry because he didn't communicate with her. You know, and she said, you're never home, you're never home. And he said, well, I came home tonight. And she said, well, that chair is here tonight too. Inert. No real participation. You want to be a chair? You want to be a person? And that's a real choice. There's a lot of inert marriages. 
Just like there are people sometimes make fun of Catholics who just show up at Mass and then get out quick. There's a lot of marriages like that too. Inert marriages, inert Eucharist. The mysticism that we want, what is happening in the Mass, is now happening in my body, and my body is now a gift in Christ to my spouse. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.